0: If you have your Bible, I would ask that you open or turn it on and meet me in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. And as we look at these verses, uh, we're going to pick up where Pastor Kyle left off last week. So just a a quick reminder of last week, uh, Pastor Kyle ended with the name Melchizedek. And specifically, the last two verses read this in chapter 6. We have this As a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Wherever Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then from there, the author of Hebrews launches into a full chapter description of Melchizedek. Now, here's my belief. I believe that the author of Hebrews was probably a preacher, uh, he had to be a preacher, okay? Um, he's definitely a teacher. If you read through the book of Hebrews, it's a very extensive writing that uses a lot of the Old Testament to, to bring about its arguments, but he, he had to be a preacher as well. Because did you know that in the Old Testament, Melchizedek is only mentioned in four verses? In the entire Old Testament, he's mentioned in four verses, and the author of Hebrews does a whole chapter on Melchizedek for us. That's, that's a preacher, Right? takes one word and dissects it for 50 minutes. I'll give you a funny story about that to prove my point that he's a preacher. So one day, we were, uh, Katie and I, we were serving in Anderson, South Carolina at the time. My wife's name is Katie, by the way, for those of you that are guests that don't know. And uh, Anderson, South Carolina, we were serving, and I went to her and I said, Hey, babe, guess what? I have the perfect date night set up for you. I've already taken care of everything. I've got the tickets. I've got the tickets. I've got the, the gas. Uh, I've got the babysitter. I think we had maybe two or three children at the time. I don't know. After having four or five of them, I don't even keep counting anymore. Um, and so I can't remember if we had two or three at the time. And I'm like, get ready. Get your best, your best clothes on. We're going to go have a romantic evening. And she's like, okay, where are we going? I was like, it's a surprise. It's a surprise. So we get in the car, babysitter comes, we get the babysitter all set up, and we get in the car, and we start driving from Anderson, South Carolina, into Greenville, South Carolina. It was about a 45, 48-minute drive. And she's like, ooh, she's getting excited. I can see her just getting all excited over there in her seat. We're going to the big town, the big city. We're going to probably go down to downtown Greenville, which is a beautiful place if you've never been there. And we keep driving, and we get into a little suburb of Greenville called Taylors for uh, Taylor's. And I drive her into the parking lot of Taylor's First Baptist Church. She is like, I thought you said this is going to be a romantic. I'm like, is this going to be, you're going to love this. So we walk into this First Baptist Church, and we get sitting down in the pews, and I'm like, we want to sit in the front row. We ain't going to be no back row Baptists today, all right? We're getting in the front row, so we sit in, like, the front three sections. And we get up there, and all of a sudden, the choir gets up there and starts singing, and she's like, what is happening? But then I saw the light bulb click in her mind. After the song's ended, John Piper takes the pulpit. And I was, if y'all don't know me, John Piper is my guy. And I'm like, "Babe, John Piper happy date night." I remember it vividly. We were talking about it this week as I was preparing this sermon, and I remember the sermon vividly. And she even asked me, she's like, how do you remember that?" If I don't know, it's a gift. John Piper gets up and he says, I'm going to preach on the Great Commission for you this evening. And so he reached to the Great Commission. And at the beginning of the Great Commission, when Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go into the, go into the nations and make disciples of all nations, at the very beginning of that statement, Jesus gives an authoritative claim. And Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he gives the command, go therefore and make disciples. And John Piper, this is why I think the author of Hebrews is a preacher, he looks at the audience he says, for the next 50 minutes... I'm going to give you 10 ways that Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth. I was like, yes. And he took 50 minutes to show 10 ways on just that one phrase, all authority on heaven and earth. I walked out of there and I was completely satisfied in Christ. If you don't know, that's one of his books. uh, Desiring God, joyfully satisfied in Jesus. And I was like, Katie, what the best date ever? I think Katie approves of it being a great date, but maybe not the most romantic date. But I thought, that is what the author of Hebrews is doing here. The author of Hebrews, he is going to take the priesthood of Melchizedek, who we only see four times in the Old Testament, and he's going to use Melchizedek as a a biblical example of Jesus as our high priest. Now here's where I think we fail in the local church Like, we like to think of Jesus as Lord. He tells you what to do and you do it. Wherever He wants you to go, you go. Whatever He tells you to do, you do. We also like to think of Jesus as Savior. He saves us from our sins. And we like to think of Him as, as Lord and Savior. Typically, you hear that kind of phrase combined. And those are all great things. We do want to think about Jesus as both Lord and Savior. But I think the church has wrestled, or not wrestled enough, with thinking about what does it mean that Jesus is our priest? Specifically, our high priest. How does the biblical example of Melchizedek relate to Jesus as our priest? And what does that mean for our lives? Well, the good news, the preacher of Hebrews is going to share that exact message with his audience. So let me show you the four, play, the four verses really quickly of where we find good old Melchizedek. The first one is in Psalm 110. We read this in our call to worship earlier this morning. And so let me show you Psalm 110 in verse 4. This is all that it says. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4. That's it. Well, then we go back a little bit further to Genesis 14. So if you have your Bible or it's on the screen for you, you can look really quickly back at Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis 14, this is all the rest that we read about Melchizedek, starting in verse 18. Starting in verse 18. So click one more slide for me. It says this, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Just so the author wanted to make sure you understood that, so he puts it in parentheses. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And that's it. That's all you get on Melchizedek from the Old Testament. But God graciously has given us the rest of the word in the New Testament. And so this preacher of Hebrews, he begins to dive into Melchizedek's ministry and specifically show us how it points us to Jesus. So if you will, look really quickly with me at verses 1 through 10 as we begin to look at two truths about the priesthood of Jesus. The author of Hebrews writes, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. If you mark in your Bible, I would highly recommend you underline that phrase, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. I recommend you highlight that phrase as well. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers and sisters, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham And blessed him who had the promises. Abraham had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. All right. I won't ask you to have a raise of hands, but how many of you are confused right now? We are. Because I'm looking at this and I'm like, how did he get to all that? How did this great scholar look at four verses in the Old Testament and write those ten verses? Well, number one, we know that God inspired this author to do it. But he's showing us about the priesthood of Jesus. So here's the first truth you need to take away from my sermon today. Jesus is our righteous priest who brings us peace with God forever. Let me say that again. Jesus is our righteous priest who brings us peace with God forever. That's the first thing the author wants us to take away from his entire first four verses of chapter 7. Now, let me kind of give you a little context, because in verse 1, he actually highlights the context of Melchizedek and Abraham's meeting of Genesis 14. It says this in the Bible, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. So what does that mean? So let me give you a little Genesis 14 rundown. In Genesis 14, a group of kings comes and takes over another group of kings in a battle. And one of the kings that was taken over was the king of Sodom. Now, If you know Abraham's story, his nephew Lot was living in Sodom. And so what happened is when the king came and defeated the king of Sodom, he takes all the people with him and all the spoils of war with him. And so Lot was taken into captivity at the loss of the king of Sodom's battle. Well, there's a guy that gets away. Now, the text doesn't say how he got away, but he got away. And he runs to Abraham and says, "Abraham, the kings have got your your you, they've taken over Sodom and they have they have got Lot and his family." And so Abraham does one of the coolest things in all of scripture. Now, I'm just telling you, I think some of this stuff is super super fascinating. The king of our Abraham takes 318 well-trained men. I like to think if I could go back that they were probably marines, you know? And I don't say that with any bias. No, I actually did. So if you don't know me, I was a former Marine. And I think to myself, man, like they took my guys with them. Like they took team punishment. That's what we used to call ourselves team punishment. Because we punish ourselves to punish the enemy. That's our name, right? And then we gave them nicknames like Bell's brawlers. And so I think to myself, like, Abraham must have got some Bell's brawlers, 318 of them. And he goes to fight these kings to get back Lot in the spoils. I'm like, You're the man, Abraham, right? 318 guys against five kings. And you're gonna, you're gonna go out there. So they go out there, they look for their critical vulnerabilities in the center of gravity, and they put together this amazing plan, right? This raising rescue mission of, you know, flanking the enemy and like at least 318 guys. And they actually go in and win. They go in and they beat this group of kings and they bring back the spoils of war. And, and Abraham brings back Lot with his bells brawlers in tow. And as he's coming back, and as he's coming back from this spoil, from beating these kings, Melchizedek arrives on the scene. Melchizedek shows up out of nowhere and brings Abraham bread and wine. And in that interaction, Abraham passes him a tenth of everything that he just got from the spoils of war and Melchizedek turns and blesses him. And then the author of Hebrews is like, okay, now that you know the backstory, let's look at this Melchizedek figure. Let's look at this Old Testament example that's designed to point us to our grand and glorious high priest, Jesus. And look what he says in in verse 2. And to him, Abraham apportioned the tenth part of everything. And then we get to his name. He is first, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. So that's the first part of my truth. Jesus is our righteous priest. Melchizedek's name, translated, means King of Righteousness. And the author picks up on that and is designed to point us to Jesus, who is our righteous priest. Now, why is that important, that Jesus is our righteous priest what's very clear because you and I are unrighteous if you read Romans 1 and 2 you will see how unrighteous we are in fact I like to remind new parents of how unrighteous their child is when I pick their parent their baby up for the first time as I meet him in the hospital or their home and I'm like oh my goodness this is the most beautiful little sinner I've ever seen to remind the parents that this child who is beautiful and made in God's image and is valuable, is wonderful to have, don't forget that he or she is gonna be great at sinning. Cause that's the nature that we're born with. And Paul, Paul would say later on in Romans 3 and 4, he would tell, he would remind us that no one is righteous, no not one. You and I have to be reminded that we are unrighteous people. That we are sinners. And in our unrighteousness, we do evil things. We do evil things to ourselves, and we do evil things to each other. I think there's three types of people in this room when it comes to unrighteousness. The first type of person in our room who is not is maybe starting to understand their unrighteousness is the person who says, I'm unrighteous, I'm a sinner, I don't care, I'm going to live it all out. I call this the extreme extent of unrighteousness. They just embrace the unrighteousness within them. I I would have been categorized as this individual before I met Jesus. I lived for Jeremy. I was a philosopher, a classic utilitarian. And I was like, maximize pleasure, minimize pain. And so live out that sin. Embrace the sin within yourselves. It's okay. That's one type of unrighteous person's thinking. And I think we see this even in our own culture, don't we? I think we see this in the people that we minister to on a weekly and daily basis, either at our schools, at our other jobs or in our community. People who embrace their unrighteousness and just let it thrive. The second type of person in this room who struggles with their unrighteousness is a, a person that struggles with their unrighteousness, but then they make lies in their minds. They become a lying, unrighteous person. What that means is that they begin to think to themselves, well, I'm not that bad. I'm actually a pretty good person. Yeah, so I cheat on my taxes, but I don't cheat on my wife. So I'm pretty good. I don't do bad things, you know. I, I, I might do a lie every now and then, but you know, I'm not murdering anybody. And so we begin to justify. I call these the unrighteous justifiers. They begin to justify their sin and say, well, see, I'm, I'm good because I'm not as bad as I could be. I'm not like those other heathens. I'm not like the ones who embraced my sin. I, I lived a pretty good life. So I'm a pretty good person. And the Bible is very clear that, well, no, you're not. because There's no, no one good, not one. You're unrighteous. And so you're covering it with a lie in your mind that says, well, I'm not that bad. And so you begin to justify your sin. And the third type of person in this room is the unrighteous who cover their sin with religion. You see, this is the most dangerous, I think, in our church culture today. The people who know their sinners and understand their brokenness, but what they do is they take that sin and they cover it under the acts of religion. Oops, I messed up God. I watched what I shouldn't have watched. I, I looked at that YouTube channel I shouldn't have looked at. I watched that pornography that I shouldn't have been watching, but, but I'm gonna go to church next week. And I'm gonna make up for it. I'm going to give some more money to the church and, and I'm going to make a, I'm actually going to spend like five minutes tomorrow in prayer and I'm going to spend five minutes tomorrow in my word just to make up for what I just did. And unfortunately, I think there's many people in our churches who live with this what we call penance, penance mentality. And in fact, I used to be that kind of person as well. I would go out and I would engage in binge drinking from Thursdays to Saturday evenings, early Sunday mornings, and then I would turn around and I would go to church for my penance. Still reeking of the weekend that I just had. Just to make myself feel good. I knew I was messed up. I knew I was broken. So I was just going to cover it with religion. What about you? Which category do you think you fall into? Because here's the reality. The reality is that Jesus is a righteous high priest. See, there's a, another option that you don't know about. That I'm about to tell you. The translation of Melchizedek is king of righteousness. And so Jesus comes on our behalf as unrighteous sinners to be our righteousness. This is why when we get to Advent coming up, and we begin to, to preach on the incarnation of Jesus, on the birth of Jesus, and I know we get excited about Christmas, If you don't think we're excited about Christmas, like, we have already watched Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3. And it's not even November. Like, we're pumped about Christmas, but one of the things is, like, we get excited about the birth of Jesus, but have we truly reflected on what the birth of Jesus is really about? The birth of Jesus is about God taking on flesh. It's about the incarnation. It's about Jesus being born of a virgin so that the fullness of deity and the fullness of humanity could be combined together in the person of Jesus so that Jesus could live the righteous life that you and I couldn't live. If I went to Mary's bedside in the manger and I picked up baby Jesus, I couldn't say, this is the most beautiful, because he had no sin. I would say this is the most beautiful Savior I have ever seen. And Jesus lives the righteous life. There was no sin found in him. And the reason why Jesus comes on the scene as a righteous high priest is so that he can go to a cross, what we just sang about. And when He's on that cross, He takes all of our unrighteousness, the one that we cover up by religion, the one that we pretend is not there, the one that we embrace, and God puts all of that unrighteousness on the Son and pours out His wrath on the Son instead of us. We deserve that wrath. Jesus did not. But Jesus took that wrath because of God's grace and love to us who have been deemed and declared unrighteous. And on that third day, that tomb was empty. To prove that Jesus' work, His righteous priest work on our behalf, to prove that He had defeated our sin, defeated our death, and grants eternal life to all who call upon His name. Isn't that amazing to think about? Listen, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you've come out of. I don't know what your life looks like. But I want you to know this. There is no sin too great that Jesus can't forgive. As a righteous high priest, he comes. And if you put your faith and trust in his work, he takes his righteousness. God takes his righteousness from his son and he puts it on you. In other words, when you believe in Jesus, you are no longer defined by your unrighteousness. You are defined by the righteousness of Jesus. That's the gospel. Look throughout scripture. Think about the thief hanging on the cross. He lived a whole life of thievery and debauchery and he's on the cross, rightly so, for his sins. And he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, today remember me. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Because this is what I'm doing. I'm taking my righteousness and I'm giving it to you. When you think of the Apostle Paul who ran around and and murdered the church and and ravaged the church of Jesus. And he finally meets Jesus. Jesus turns and says, I've taken all that away and I'm going to give you my righteousness. When you think of Peter who denies his faith in Jesus, Jesus comes to him and says, guess what? I've done the work that I'm going to do. I've taken my righteousness and now I'm going to give it to you. Story after story in the New Testament. When you think about prostitutes, when you think about the Corinthian church who was living in all kinds of crazy sins of drunkenness and homosexuality was, was in that, that church came out of a, There's people in that church who came out of a homosexual lifestyle and there's people who disobey disobey their parents and slanderers and gossips, malcontents. And yet Jesus, as the righteous high priest, says, I'm taking my righteousness and I'm giving it to you. Is that not the kind of priest you want to serve? That's exactly the righteous high priest I want to serve. The one who says, no matter where you've been and no matter what you've done. As your righteous high priest, I can save, forgive, and change your life. But look at the second part of it. Not only is he the king of righteousness, it says he also is king of Salem. Now, that word Salem, some people think it might be characterized as Jerusalem. Um, The word Salem, they think it goes back to the Hebrew word shalom, which means to be in a complete state of peace. And so that's why the author of Hebrews translates king of Salem, that is king of peace. So Jesus is our righteous priest who brings us peace with God. That's the first truth. Jesus is our high priest who brings us peace with God. Jesus also brings peace to those who call upon his name. So when he gives you your righteousness, you are no longer in fear of your sin. You no longer are in fear of death. You no longer are in fear of what death is what happens at the end of death because you have peace with God through the righteous high priest. Now, how does that comfort you? When people call me and they tell me their stories and they tell me how they're hurting or broken or what they're going through in this life, I always pray with them on the phone or in person, right on the spot. And when people share those things that are going really hard in their life, if they're a believer, I pray this prayer over and over and over again. I say may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is what a peace, a priest that gives peace leads to our lives. No matter what you're going through today, no matter the storms, no matter the struggles, no matter the pain that this world is bringing into your life, if Jesus is your righteous priest, you can walk through it with Peace. Think of Stephen. Man, Stephen, he goes and he gives this amazing speech to this group of religious leaders and they turn and stone him to death. And, P, and Stephen says what? He says, Father, do not hold this sin against them. And at that moment he breathes his last. And he goes, where does that come from? Oh, it comes from the righteous high priest who gives you peace in life. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're, you're dealing with a wayward child... I want you to know that we have a high priest who will bring you peace even in that situation. If you're here today and your marriage is struggling and on the rocks and you maybe feel like just throwing in the towel, I want you to know we have a righteous high priest who will give you peace as you walk through that situation. If you're here today and you're maybe a single person and you're, everybody's pressuring you to get married and pressuring you to have, when are you going to have kids, right? Like the idea here is that don't worry about it because you have peace with Jesus. If you're a student here today and you go into the world and you're in your schools and the secular world is beating you down and trying to pull you away from the faith, faith, walk in there with comfort knowing you have peace in Jesus. Because I believe that peace with Jesus comes by His presence. That when we have a righteous high priest, He says, I will be with you always. It's not going to make your life easier. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel message. But I will guarantee you one thing. As you walk through life, you will like, walk through life with a great peace. The peace of God, which does surpass all understanding. And our high priest doesn't leave us down here as orphans. Well, figure it out on your own. Walk through all those problems by yourself. We have a, high, a righteous high priest who says, No, I'm going to be there with you through it all. And I'll hold your hand and I'll walk you through these difficult seasons of life. Why? Because that's what our, right, our righteous high priest brings us. He brings you and I peace, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So the question is, how long? How long do we have Jesus' righteousness? How long do we have this peace? I'm glad you asked. Verse 3. The author says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So that's why the final part of my statement says this. Jesus is our righteous high priest who brings us, excuse me, Jesus is our righteous priest who brings us peace with God forever. There you go. Now, some of you may be reading this and you may be thinking, okay, how is Melchizedek have no father, no mother, no genealogy, beginning days, end of life, but yet he resembles the Son of God and lives as a continued priest forever? And there are some crazy theories out there. Like some people think that Melchizedek must have been an angel. I think they're dead wrong. Because that's not what the text talks about. What the author of Hebrews is doing is he's saying, if we look at everything that's found in the Old Testament on Melchizedek, guess what we don't know? We don't know his father. We don't know his mother. We don't know his genealogy. We don't know where he was born. And we definitely don't know where he died. All we have in the, New Te- the Old Testament is that there's a priestly order of Melchizedek. He met Abraham after he slaughtered the kings. Abraham gave him a tenth of his spoils, and he blessed him, and that's it. Scripture goes silent. And so the author of Hebrews picks that up. He's like, we don't have any idea who this person is, other than what the Scriptures tell us. And so therefore, it doesn't matter where he came from. It doesn't matter who's his mommy or his daddy. What matters is he's pointing you, Melchizedek points you to Jesus, who has an eternal, forever priesthood and reign. So how long are you saved when you believe in Jesus? Forever. If you're still saved, you said forever. Amen. You've warmed my heart this morning. How long do you have peace with God if Jesus is for our high priest? Forever. Oh, you warm warmed my heart again. That is the high priest we serve. That his kingdom has no end. That his priesthood has no end. That he is constantly giving us his righteousness and giving us his peace. How does that change the way that you live your life, though? Do you live your life with that forever mentality? That the righteousness that I had in Christ at the moment of my salvation is the same righteousness that I still have today. That the peace that God has given me at the moment of my salvation is still the same peace that God gives me today. Because let me tell you something. I'm going to just be very frank and honest with you. The Christian life is not easy. In fact, it is hard. Somebody say amen if you can testify to that. But guess what? We have a priest who is always righteous, gives us his righteousness, and brings us peace forever, in the words of my man, the Sandlot. What about you this morning? What about you? Have you given your life to this righteous high priest? Have you found the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? If not, at the end of this service, I'm going to give you a chance to do just that. I'm going to give you a chance to put your faith and trust in the Jesus who is the righteous high priest who will bring you peace with God forever. If you think that what I'm talking about is too good to be true, then you're wrong. Because it's all true. And you can go and ask any partner in this room their testimony and they will tell you over and over, yes, that is my Jesus. The last thing that we see in this text from verses 4 to 10 is that Jesus is not just a high priest. He is our high priest. High priest. Not just a priest. He is a high priest. That This, this verses 4 to 10 is about superiority of Jesus' priesthood for our lives. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, see how great this man who was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. He said, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is, from their brothers and sisters, though these also are descended from Abraham. He says, but this man, who does not have any descent from them, received tithes from Abraham. And so here's what we get. We get this idea that when, when Abraham comes on the scene and he meets Melchizedek, Abraham turns and gives him a tenth of everything, recognizing his priestly and kingly office. He returns from the spools of war with bells, brawlers, and he says, here, here's a tenth of everything I have. And then the second thing he says is, look at this, and then Melchizedek blessed him who had the promises. And then he gives us this wonderful little descriptor in verse 7, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So what he's saying here is that Melchizedek was in a position higher in authority over Abraham, because Abraham gives the tithes, his tithes to Melchizedek, just like the rest of the Israel was designed to give their tithes to the Levites. And then he says, and then Melchizedek turns around and blesses him. He says the superior turns and blesses the inferior, not the other way around. And so what the author is doing is he's showing the superiority of Melchizedek over Abraham. And let me tell you, this audience came from a Jewish background. That might have stunned them a little bit. Because to them, Abraham was the man. That's the patriarch of their nationality, their ethnicity. Abraham is the, is the father Abraham who had many sons and daughters. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. So in their minds, in their minds, they were like, what? This dude has four verses in the Bible. And you're telling us that he is greater than Abraham who has chapters. And we're his descendants. And in fact, that's what the author does. He makes this really funny, funny comment in verse nine. He says one might even say that Levi, who wasn't even born yet, like he was still in the wounds of his great, great, great grandfather. One might even say that Levi whom, himself, who receives the tithes, pay tithes through Abraham. So he's like the whole Levitical priesthood that was wrapped up in Abraham is paying tithes to this Melchizedek. That's how superior Melchizedek is. He says because he was still in the loins of his ancestor Abraham when Melchizedek met him. He's like that's the superiority of Melchizedek. This is what this teaches us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus isn't on a low totem pole of priesthood. He's on the top tier. And I think this is what helps us, as we understand Jesus' superiority as our priest, I think this is what helps us understand and interpret verse 25. If you've got your Bible, just really quickly go to 725. If Jesus is truly our high priest, then this is what we can take away from him as our great high priest. Superior Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Okay, number one, our great high priest can save anyone. Our great high priest can save anyone. Doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter what you've done. We have a high priest that is superior that can save you. Boom, bottom line, done. Secondly, he says, he also draws near. So he. Says to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So our high priest allows us, as righteously made believers, robed in his righteousness, he allows us to draw near to our Father who is in heaven. Oh, if I had time we could just dive into that for like two hours. But I don't. Think of that. Our high priest draws us to our Father who is in heaven, to, to God Almighty, to his dad. How does that change the way that you live when you think about the relationship that you are a child of the God most high because of the priesthood of Jesus who brought you into his family? Then, lastly, look what he says. Since Jesus always lives to make intercession for them, that them is us, those who draw near to God. Listen, brothers and sisters, we have a high priest right now who is interceding for us every moment of every day. Our high priest is giving you and me an eternal and lasting saving faith. Every day. every day Jesus is interceding for you and drawing you closer to the Father. Every day you are standing on the authority of God's word, knowing, knowing that your salvation is secure in a great high priest, just like Melchizedek was superior to Abraham. Isn't that wonderful? Again, I don't want to do a show of hands, but how many of you messed up this week? How many of you messed up this morning? You know who you are. Everybody. Aren't you glad that we don't have to go back every single time and be like, ah, I messed up again, Jesus. Don't, don't kick me out. Don't leave me. Stay with me. I'm a work in progress. Oh, brothers and sisters, we serve a high priest that when we messed up, he says, don't worry, I got you. You fell down. I'm going to I'm going to help you. I'm going to call you to repent. I'm going to call you to back to myself. I'm going to draw you back to my father. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to pull you up. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to give you my word and I'm going to help you to keep walking with me. Yes. Aren't you thankful that we have a high priest who makes us secure in salvation every single day? This week I got up and I had an amazing quiet time with the Lord. You know, like, man, I was praying and I was reading and I was sitting outside in my cold driveway. That's why I got the sniffles now. And I I was like, I walked in on like kind of a cloud nine moment. And I walked in and the first thing I did was show unrighteous anger. Why aren't you kids out of bed yet? Let's go. Daddy's been up for an hour. I've already worked out and had my quiet time. Move, move, move. That was, that was uh, Bell's Brawlers, drill instructor, poof, came right out. And I said it was zero grace, all harshness. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I literally just had this great quiet time with you, and I walked in and I blew it. The Lord reminded me of Hebrews 7. He said, Don't worry, your salvation is secure in my priest, Jesus. No matter what you do, we're going to get you through this, Jeremy. We're going to help you persevere. To the very end, we're going to help you be a courageous Christian and a bold believer through it all. Aren't you thankful for that kind of Jesus? So how do you respond to a message like this today? Number one, maybe you're in here and you've recognized your unrighteousness this morning. You've recognized that. Number one, you're either covering your failures and your sin with religion. Number two, you think falsely that you are a good person. Number three, you're just embracing that sin. And this morning, God wants you to know that His high priest stands ready to receive you into the kingdom. Not because of what you've done, but because of what our righteous high priest did for you. And He is ready to grant you righteousness today by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, the great high priest. Listen, if you want to talk more about that after the service, you come see me, you come see Pastor Kyle, come see any one of our partners. I mean, honestly, Rick and Brett would be glad to walk you through. Come see somebody in this room. If you're a follower, you're saying, today I want to give my, my life to this Jesus that Jeremy has talked about. Come talk to one of our partners and let us help you walk that life and tell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how today you can know, walking out those doors, that you are safe and secure in His arms. But number two, if you're a Christian in this room, where are you at? Are you recognizing, are you going through a season or a trial in life where you just need God's peace to get you through it? Are you living the life knowing that you are secured in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ as your high priest? And are you walking knowing that God is with you forever? Because we have a righteous high priest who brings us his peace forever. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. Today's the day that you're saying, Jeremy, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to make Jesus my high priest. I want to put my faith and trust in his work. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. And I want you to say right now, I want you to raise your hand and say, I'm going to go talk. I'm going to, I'm committing Jeremy right now to go talk to a partner or a pastor of Center Church Brenham to not leave this building knowing that my salvation is not secure in Jesus. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. All right. Number two. If you're here this morning... And you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, Jeremy, I just needed to be reminded of the priesthood of Jesus. I need to be reminded of the righteousness of Jesus. And the, I need the peace of Jesus right now that surpasses all understanding. I am going through a, a trial. I'm going through a difficult season in my life. And I just need Jesus's presence and peace. I want to do something. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. If that's you today, raise your hand. Okay, I got you. I got you. I got you. Let's pray. Father, for all those hands that were just raised moments ago. Lord, number one, I pray that if there's anyone in here today who doesn't know you, that they would have the courage and the boldness to stand up and put their faith in Jesus. And number two, for all those hands that I just saw that were raised, that said they're going through a difficult season in their life, and I, I pray this scripture over them. Lord, may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for Jesus who is our high priest. Now, Lord, be with us as we prepare to leave this place to be your servants on mission for you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment to take communion together as a church family. So what that looks like is you're going to come up here. Uh, these, are, these are juice cups, grape juice cups. Come grab the grape juice and grab the bread in the baskets and go back to your seat and just hold the elements in your hand. Two reasons that we're going to do this today. Number one, uh, I think that when we come speak on the priesthood of Jesus, it's good to remind ourselves of what Jesus truly did for us. That he shed his blood and that his body was broken on our behalf. But here, let me tell you something. If you're not a believer with us this morning, if you're not, if you're not a Christian, and if you're not in good standing with your church, then I, then I ask that you not come and partake. Not because we want to ostracize you or make fun of you or point you out, but because we believe this is a very serious moment for Christians. This is a moment where Christians are proclaiming our faith in the priesthood of Jesus, in our great high priest. And we ask that this would be an opportunity that you would see the church proclaim a message to you about the salvation that comes in Christ that you would come and talk to one of us later on after the service and that we would point you and see God activate your faith and ignite your faith and the next time we come to communion you come with us as a brother or sister in Christ so at this time if you're ready please stand and come and grab a juice and a bread and take it back to your seat and I will lead you in communion and tell you the second reason that we're doing this so you come as the Lord leads come on